Hey, Sandy Letigeni there uh, with uh, the much acclaimed guava juice. Um, and they are one of the best poets we've produced in this country. And of course, they're in the background. Uh, the man I understand is celebrating his birthday today, Miles Davis. And uh, a song there uh, for you jazz aficionados called So What? Huh? Yeah, very distinctive sound. But uh, we shift away from the music and some of you already engaging us here on uh, Twitter. Dr. Mtogo Tele saying uh, in relation to what happened outside the Peter Marisburg High Court, saying, Manju Premier, will he address the province soon? telling them about social distancing and the COVID third wave precautions. It's going to be really awkward. Uh, and I guess that that's the political soap I was talking about. Uh, on the one hand, you know, we're going to stand and I guess extend our support um, and the support, you know, of, of many of the leaders who ha- also happen to be leaders in government um, to former President Jacob Zuma and uh, rightfully so, as they should. Uh, you know, he's their leader, Mong Ameli. Uh, and, uh, you know, of the organization and the country. Um, and somebody, I guess, who's done a lot to build the, the ANC in KZN. But then, I guess, in the same vein, encourage people not to congregate in large crowds uh, for all manner of purposes, not just for political purposes. Uh, I mean, we're in an election year. There's nothing stopping other political organizations in bringing the masses of people there. I mean, if the IFP had done something similar, uh, I think we would be asking... The same questions that we're asking, uh, which is, you know, I guess, is it um, desirable to do so? And I think even the secretary of the ANC and KZN made it quite clear that um, they also want to encourage people not to come in the numbers that they've come. But uh, I guess, you know, there's there's also the question of the political utility of having, you know, that uh, outpouring of public support for the ANC in a year where the ANC will have to canvass the vote of the uh, public um, around a, a certain political program uh, or manifesto. I'd love to continue to hear your perspectives there, just like Undosi out on Twitter and uh, on at MetroFMSA. Use the hashtag MetroFMTalk. In the next few minutes or so, uh, we shift our attention to the Horn of Africa where uh, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed effectively liberalizing the telecom sector in Ethiopia. And we'll be making sense of all of those developments uh, that have unfolded in Addis Ababa and the implications, of course, for the South African telecom sector and for the continent as a whole. It's our Tech Conversations coming up next. 15 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. Now, uh, this evening, uh, we take stock of uh, the 850 million US dollar license, a telecoms license uh, awarded uh, in Ethiopia, which for the longest time uh, had a state monopoly, much like what we had here in South Africa with Telcom, uh, in the telecoms industry. And uh, the consortium uh, that uh, managed to bag this license, uh, led by Kenya Safaricom, Vodafone, Vodacom, and uh, Ethiopian investors as well. And we also know uh, that um, uh, British uh, Finance Development Agency, CDC, uh, is also part of the bid process. Uh, So is the Silk Road Fund. Yeah, that uh, fund there, uh, which is, I guess, the vehicle of uh, much of the aspirations of the Belt and Road Initiative of uh, the Chinese Communist Party-led government of China. Uh, And, uh, yeah, also um, alongside MTN uh, was that bid there by the Silk Road Fund. Now, it's going to open up uh, a market 
that remains one of the largest untapped markets uh, of 114 million people. Uh, it's uh, nearly double the population we have in this country and uh, billed by the Ethiopian government as the deal of the century. And uh, joining me uh, on the line to talk about this is Dopek Pata, telecoms analyst and director at Africa Analysis. Dopek, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonka. Thank you very much. And uh, good evening to all the listeners as well. Yeah, thank Thanks. you very much, uh, Dopek. Uh, I think many of our listeners would be familiar with the context here. Uh, one of the uh, long-standing state monopolies in the telecom sector uh, in Ethiopia and the history of Ethiopia, you know, with, uh, I guess, uh, Marxist military regime and many of the institutions that might have been set up during that moment. Uh, and, of course, even, I guess, uh, in the democratic moment, if I can say that, still continuing to maintain this monopoly on uh, uh, tele- telecoms. I found quite interesting topic um, Yesterday, seeing, uh, well, actually earlier on t- today, uh, uh, seeing, you know, a, uh, a a report from the end April out of the Financial Times, which really saw this deal of the century, according to the Ethiopian government, as a flop. Now, I, I certainly don't share that sentiment and that reading, but I'd be interested to hear from you why some in the world would see this particular deal as something that, the big telco players outside of the MTNs, Vodacoms and the Safaricoms probably wouldn't want to get close to. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gradual, as you indicated, the, the telecommunications market or sector in Ethiopia is beginning to liberalize. It's a gradual liberalization. This is effectively the first major step in that direction. In, uh, Ethiop, uh, telecom effectively the, the, uh, the, the an incumbent operator in Ethiopia remains a monopolist in some aspects of mm. the market, namely fixed line infrastructure and, and particularly uh, the national infrastructure and uh, international connectivity. So what, what is being liberalized uh, effectively at the moment is the mobile uh, segment of, that mar- of the telecommunications market, uh, mobile communications and um, there was a lot of interest initially, um, as you indicated, and the reason being that Ethiopia, even though it's a relatively poor country, when you look at GDP per capita, you know, about one-sixth of that of South Africa, uh, under $1,000 per head, uh, it is a large market nonetheless. And I suppose if you, you know, if you add up a lot of people spending a bit of money, you may end up with a lot of money mm. as, a, as a potential opportunity. So that's, that's one. Of, and obviously... Uh, apart from that, the, the country has been growing fairly strongly economically over the past several years. Uh, obviously, COVID has put a dampener on it, but uh, you know it will recover, um, and which effectively translates into um, greater disposable income over time. I.e., you know, at some point, the population will start getting mm. more affluent, um, will have more income to spend on telecommunication services. So that 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 really made it attractive. However, I think um, one of the or maybe the key reason why we saw only two bids submitted or effectively its interest expressed um, out of the initial several companies that were considering um, bidding in four licenses in the Ethiopian market is um, the withholding of ability to provide financial services or mobile mm. money services. Mm. Dopek, I, I want us, I want us in, to pause on that one. By the operators that get licensed. Dopek, I, I want us to pause on that one because I think it's a major part of 
uh, this particular story, uh, but I can see a quick spot break nearing on us. So, so I want you to hold the line there for me for a second. Okay. We're going to take a quick spot break, but when we come back, I want us to talk about, I guess, some of the conditions of this particular liberalization process uh, and whether or not, you know, not having access to that massive fintech opportunity in mobile money uh, might uh, potentially, I guess, you know, spook off some uh, potential bidders who might have wanted to go into this market at a time when, you know, uh, you can't really think of any telecoms players on the continent without thinking about the foray they make into the world of mobile money. We'll take a brief break now. When we come back, I continue uh, on uh, our tech conversations. 22 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's our Tech Conversations, and this evening I'm joined uh, to take a look at uh, the liberalization of the telecom sector in Ethiopia by Dopek Pata, telecoms analyst and a director at Africa Analysis. Dopek, uh, just before we went to the break, you were touching on, uh, I guess, one of the key limitations of this particular process, if you're looking at it from the perspective of some of the prospective bidders, uh, and that is, uh, I guess, that these licenses don't come, one, with the ability to uh, operate in the mobile uh, financial services services play, uh, but also, uh, you know, uh, limits, I guess, the kind of network infrastructure investment that one can can make in towers uh, to effectively bring, I guess, some cutting edge solutions to that uh, market in the Horn of Africa. Uh, correct. So, yes, uh, as you said, two of the big uh, limitations on the, these particular licenses were at the moment one license that the Vodafone or Safaricom Consortium has won is that the, the 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 new licensee is not able to offer uh, mobile financial services or mobile money uh, and and the other one is that you have to use as much of the incumbent uh your telecoms infrastructure as possible and that's passive infrastructure so it would be sites and towers um which is not of that great of an importance to a mobile operator because they are moving away from that of ownership, direct ownership of passive infrastructure, but also you need to use the, you're obligated to use the, 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 the backhaul infrastructure, effectively the network that takes your traffic from the customer, from the tower mm. site in, into some sort of an aggregation center node and moves it around the country and around the world. Uh, so you cannot build, uh, build that on your own, uh, which often then operators would use to, to try and sell additional wholesale services, mm. uh, and it would allow them to uh, operate more cost-efficiently um, over, over the, the longer period, uh, rather than paying someone for that, uh, for, for, for providing those services. Uh, so those are the limitations I expect that they will be lifted in time. Uh, mm. when, when it comes to mobile money, for instance, indication is that this moratorium will last uh, probably a year, uh, you know, if it's not extended. Um, and, and the whole reason for that was to try and protect Ethiopia Telecom, the incumbent, uh, which is the only operator that is able to uh, legally allowed to offer mobile money. And in fact, they launched the service uh, in April this year, so a, a bit of a month ago. Mm. Um, and uh, sort of, it's a, um, a step up for them, and effectively a protectionist uh, tactic to try and. Uh, generate additional revenues through protectionism for the incumbent Ethiopian operator. Now, mobile money had stopped and starts over the past several years, but over the past two to three years, it has been proving to be a relatively fast-growing new source of revenue and effectively an adjacent market, financial market, uh, for mobile operators because they do have the infrastructure, uh, the, the reach, they've got the customer base, um, often fairly extensive customer base, so they've, they've, they're well 
pre-positioned to offer those services. And if we look at a market such as Ethiopia, for instance, um, we have a large portion of the population that is unbanked. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, effectively they don't use the formal financial infrastructure, the banking infrastructure that's in place because it is limited in its reach and, and the types of services that it offers, which normally uh, are expensive and prohibitive to the lower income segments mm. um, of, of a society such as the Ethiopian society. Uh, mobile money, on the other hand, are flexible, agile, um, low cost, um, very useful. And once you start building an ecosystem around them where more and more institutions accept and um, payments um, mm. or issue payments through mobile money mechanisms, platforms, then it becomes extremely useful and, and uh, a, a very considerable revenue generator and, and a profitable business. And if we look at Safaricom, which is the winner, uh, it's the majority holder in the consortium that won the, the first license. Mm. Uh, they are the most successful, not only in Africa, but, but in the world in terms of mobile money services, the, the famous M-Pesa, which they started years ago in, uh, in, in Kenya, and, uh, which is the, and have the biggest customer grouping of um, M-Pesa users uh, that's close to about 3 million now. In fact, the, the, the majority, um, you know, probably around 80% of the mobile customers are also M-Pesa users. And there's a whole, effectively, parallel financial system that has developed um, around that um, mobile money platform uh, to the point where the regulator in Kenya is now considering actually decoupling it from the mm. from Safaricom as the mobile operator because they are beginning to consider it um, anti-competitive for for uh, the biggest operator in the country to also own the biggest mobile money platform. Mm. But it so does it, is, seem, it is very yeah. it is it is critical uh, moving forward, probably for mobile sure. operators to be able to also offer those services in adjacent markets, such mm. as um, financial services insurance. But you see, Dopek, it does seem that uh, I mean that type of vertically integrated model. Um, is some in some ways, you know, people talk of it as convergence. Um, so many of the banks are selling, you know, telecommunication services, airtime, that kind of thing, data. Um, and in many instances, many of the telecoms providers have become the banks. Um, and so there's a lot of challenges around either the regulation uh, uh, of not only just the telecom sector, but even the financial sector in many of these countries. I'm quite interested in your view on what this initial tran transitional arrangement of uh, decoupling, I guess, you know, uh, telecoms and mobile uh, financial services is going to mean for the prospect of over-the-top services, um, you know, uh, I'm thinking e-commerce platforms here. Uh, I'm thinking even, I guess, you know, some of the uh, potential, um, you know, financial service plays, um, be it airtime advances and that kind of thing, that uh, some of these telcos that have bid in this process are already doing in many of the markets they operate in on the continent. Correct. So, yeah, we've seen increasing um, partnerships developing between banks, traditional financial institutions, and mobile operators, and also fin uh, fintech companies. So the third element to that is often the fintech companies which come up with these clever applications yes. and platforms. They don't typically have the type of uh, funding available to be able to go large-scale and become financial institutions themselves, so they prefer to, um, to to partner often with banks so that banks can 
uh, you know, banks are enabled to start countering the encroachment of mobile operators into their territory, so to speak, uh, because because uh, naturally mobile operators as, a, as an um, operation lends itself to effectively become a big financial operator as well mm. uh, because of the, the reach and, and the extensive customer base they often have. Now, once you start decoupling it, what we're going to probably start seeing is um, regulators trying to establish those mobile money platforms as standalone, neutral, non-operator aligned entities, uh, which every other mobile operator or any other operator will be able to to, to leverage mm. in order to offer those mobile financial services, uh, the, these alternative services. Uh, at the moment, it's, it's still quite protective and you find that uh, individual operators often have their own platforms. Airtel has it, Safaricom has it, mm. which Vodacom also uses. Uh, MTN has one and, and, and so on. So the, the sort of isolated silos and they don't always interconnect and interoperate. The, the objective is to try and create greater interoperability through regulation so that it becomes a system of this nature. Mm. This ecosystem becomes a lot more useful. Uh, we're at the very beginning stages of this because, as you said, uh, regulatory authorities are still grappling with how to best approach it and it differs from market to market. So in South Africa, effectively, mobile operators would require a banking license mm. to to, be, to offer a full suite of financial services, sure. which I suspect eventually they probably will be able to get. Uh, similarly, in Nigeria, where mobile operators cannot offer uh, mobile money services on their own, as standalone entities, they need to partner with a bank. They're forced to become to to to, to go into that partnership, uh, and, and the banks need to be involved mm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in order to facilitate those even basic financial mobile financial transactions. Mm. Topic two. Two last questions on my end, um, and I guess the one has to do with. Paint a picture for us of who Ethiotel is, uh, which is the incumbent uh, state operator here. But also, in addition to that, the big concern that many of our telcos who have gone uh, into other parts of the continent of Africa have had, which is around, uh, you know, especially in oil-rich countries, the repatriation of their profits uh, and whatever dividends might have to be paid out to shareholders uh, from those operations. Uh, firstly, the Ethiotel story. Who yep, is Ethiotel? Right. What is it? That um, so Ethiotel Telecom is, a, one could say, you know, a typical monopoly operator that uh, be, was a fixed-line operator, effectively running copper infrastructure, mm. uh, the, the, uh, the, the traditional telecom, uh, telephone lines. Uh, not very successful, uh, as many monopolists have. You know, so the story goes around many monopolist telcos in Africa. It has a, 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 a fixed-line infrastructure that's uh, maybe at the most a million lines for, as you said, a, pop, a population of 114 million, probably 25 million households. Uh, broadband infrastructure also limited about 300,000 um, connections. And then it moved into uh, mobile services with various technologies uh, that it's introduced over the years. Uh, but even there, it hasn't been, hasn't been very successful. The penetration level is... Uh, probably if you look at unique penetration individuals, less than 45%, which is about half of the region's average when it comes to population penetration. Um, so not not a, a, a traditional telco, monopoly telco that has not been very successful and innovative in that market. And that's why uh, it effectively causes the market to stagnate and also prohibits Ethiopia from moving um, forward um, 
into the fourth industrial revolution effectively mm. and become more competitive and leverage ICT and telecommunications for development purposes yeah. Uh, yeah. on a national scale. When, when it comes to um, operating in some of the markets in, in Africa uh, where there's difficulty in repatriating funds, uh, you know that is the case. But I think ultimately when you look at large operators such as MTN, it does make sense for them to compete in those markets, particularly when they are number one or number two operator in terms of the size in those markets. And those markets uh, generate a lot of cash. They're very lucrative often with high EBITDA margin. Mm. And, um, and and ultimately, you do repatriate most of your money and you do pay dividends. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you're being forced to list on the local stock exchange, which has become a trend in, in sub-Saharan Africa, certainly, in order to benefit the local market mm. and, and provide local individuals, people, and and institutions the ability to to also invest and benefit in that operation but you know at the end of the day if it were not worthwhile for them to be in a market such as nigeria they wouldn't be there they would have divested so you go through trials and tribulations and sometimes it's the operator's fault sometimes it's the regulatory authority's fault or the government they're trying to have their own ways Uh, but i think by and large they do end up seeing eye to eye and able to cooperate um, and you know, both parties end up being satisfied to a large extent. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Topic, we'll have to leave it there. Real pleasure having you on the show this evening, and thank you very much for sharing your insights with us. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Cheers. Take care. Uh, Dobek uh, joining us uh, this evening for our tech conversations. Uh, Dobek Pater, telecoms analyst and director at Africa Analysis, speaking to us about the liberalization of the Ethiopian telecommunications industry. Now, I just went on uh, Ethio Telecom's website. And no matter what headaches you have about repatriating income, uh, you know, infrastructure sharing and the cost of that, uh, you can't scoff at numbers like this. Mobile service subscribers, 52.8 million. That's close to how many people we have in this country. Data and internet users, 25 million plus. Total customers as of uh, April 2021, 54.7 million. Yeah, if there was a market, uh, it certainly is that one. 24 minutes it is before 9 p.m. In the next few minutes or so, going to be.